hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. How is it that an athlete could be playing out to all of her teammates in college 15 plus years ago, compete in two Olympic games as an out athlete, and never have talked to the media about it, never showed up on OutSports radar screen. Sheena Larek, as she says in our interview, has just been out. She never came out. She's just been out pretty much her entire life in and around elite-level sports. She played college at the University of Nebraska, played in a couple of Olympic games, as I said. She is looking ahead to these upcoming Olympics with a little bit of envy, she had to make a decision a couple years ago about whether she wanted to try one more time, and she talks with me about why she decided against it. I really appreciate Sheena joining me, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sheena, thank you so much for joining me. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you told me that you've been out for a long, long time. How is it that this is the first time you've talked to somebody in the media about being LGBTQ? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Um, part of me thinks it's a good thing, um, <laughs> but I, I honestly don't know. I, I have been out since um, I'll say I was 18 years old, which was roughly 2002. And um, the only other time I've seen myself referenced in, in the media as being LGBTQ was uh, in Beijing in Athens. There was some some website that got circulated and it somehow ended up to me where it was a list of gay, I think it was gay softball athletes or gay athletes at the Olympics. And for some reason, like, I mean, well, obviously obvious reasons I was on it, but I wondered, I wondered how I made it on this list that I, I didn't research it any further, but um, that was probably the extent of that. <laughs> There's a guy named Tony Scuffum Bilton out of England and he has the definitive list of all the LGBTQ people who have ever competed in an Olympic or Paralympic games. And it's like 400 plus at this point, okay. you were not on that list. And I was like, Tony, how did you miss Sheena? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Cause he knows everybody. So you've been flying under the radar for quite some time. Wow. Am I the only softball athlete not on the list or how did, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not to, not to stereotype too hard, but yeah, that's a, uh, I guess, I guess I just kind of flew under the radar. Maybe that's a good thing. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, yes, uh, you know, being a lesbian softball player is a stereotype, but as I've talked to women in elite level sports, professional sports, um, major uh, United States collegiate sports, Olympics, they tell me over and over again, the number of LGBTQ women in elite level sports is extremely high that it is far higher than the rest of the population. Is that what you found in your time? Um, yeah, I would definitely say that's, uh, it was not uncommon, that's for sure. I mean, um, again, softball, maybe a little bit more stereotypical, but I, again, I was thinking back to it. And like, even at my time at Nebraska, like I would say, you know, lesbians weren't predominant on our team and it wasn't, I don't think a you know, I, I wasn't out there <laughs> scouting around looking, but it was, you know, I think there was, there was always, the thought was you could always kind of, you know, there were certainly some people on teams, but I don't think it was, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it would, they were definitely there. I guess I can say that. <laughs> 
I asked this question also, and it's it's pretty impossible to answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Sure. Why is that? Why is it that you know when you go to youth sports or high school sports, it's it's a, a regular mix of kids. You know, there's straight, there's you know, there's a, you know a handful of LGBTQ. But by the time you get to elite level sports, there's a lot of lesbians. Why is that? Gosh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, again, I'm like, I'm not surprised by your statement at all. And I, I guess I would always like feel more comfortable speaking for myself. But I don't, I don't know that you know my, my situation is any different than somebody else's. I mean, it's, it is, it's an interesting question. I, 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 I don't know that I have a good answer. <laughs> um, like I said, it's an impossible question to answer. Yeah. Because I can't even answer it. And I've been reporting on these things for 20 years. So. Sure, sure. My, my best guess is that a lot of straight cis women um, end up opting for family um, and it, you know, it, or some other kind of careers, and that for whatever reason, LGBTQ women, um, you know, just gravitate towards sports. I, I, it's, it's yeah. I don't, I don't have a better answer. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I, I definitely think that you know, LGBTQ women would. I think that statement is is definitely correct. Like, definitely gravitate more towards sports. But, you know, even you know, thinking about right now, I've got I've got two teammates that are trying to make you know Tokyo, and they're they're both mothers of ones. You know, Lauren Bay, she's got three kids and a husband, and Danielle Laurie has two two girls and a husband, and you know, so they're they're kind of your. Then they're both working mothers, and and they're making it work, right? Like they're going back for their Danielle's. It'll be her second, and Lauren will be her third. So. Um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely interesting. You mentioned that you had thought about dipping your toe in the Tokyo pond. Yeah. Um, decided not to T talk us through that decision process. Sure. I, you know, I still, I still think about it. I mean, today, like I, again, I'll mention those same teammates. They just left yesterday to, to centralize and start uh, prepping for Tokyo. And I can't, I am just my, I am jealous beyond, beyond words. Um, I'm envious. I'm jealous. I'm proud of them. I'm all of those things, but um, you know, they started their families a little bit sooner than I did. Um, I've got a five month old now. He turned five months old yesterday. So it came to the point where I think it was, it must've been around 2017 or 2018 that I would have had to seriously start consider uh, considering 2020 at the time, right before it got pushed back. And um, I was with um, you know, my, she was my fiance at the time. And we are kind of going through that timeline together and what it would have looked like. And she, uh, she was with me through a few world championships and things like that. So she knew the extent of what um, the toll it would have taken on our relationship. Um, it, it was hard. It's, it's very hard to be away from, from your partner that long. And um, it kind of, it does force you to, you know, consider, or you do, you put a pause on, on any type of, um, you know, family while you're gone. And especially us, right. You know, like it takes, <laughs> if we want to have a family, it's, it's fertility treatments, it's IUI, it's finding donors, it's all of those things. And, um, so at the end of the day, you know, looking at, I think I was, how old was I 35, 36 at the time, knowing that, you know, the later that we push this down the line, was I going to want to, you know, be thinking about starting a family when I was 38. Um, and, you know, again, looking at what that would have done to our relationship too, it was just, uh, it was a lot of things to weigh. And, um, you know, I think we made the right decision. I, I, I mean, I know we did because we, we have our son now and he's like everything I could possibly want. Um, but at the same time, I still equally, you know, I miss that, that athlete life of, you know, I, I watched them go away and like knowing that the team is centralizing, knowing that they're, 
you know, prepping for some of them, like, you know, my teammate Lauren is prepping for her third Olympic games and she'll be the first woman, uh, first softball player to go to three Olympic games. And like, they have a legit chance at a gold medal and oh, that's a, it's, it just, it's hard. It's one of those life decisions that I know I won't regret it. Um, and I'm, I'm super happy that I have, I have the opportunity to kind of choose through both of those and whether or not I would have made the team is a completely different story, <laughs> but, you know, and to be in the position where I was going to be able to either call the coach and say, Hey, I want to throw my hat in the ring here. Um, I was lucky enough to be in that position as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I'm sure I'll think about it every day for the rest of my life. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to watch you're going to watch that team, um, with mixed emotions. I have no yeah. doubt it's. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping I get to, I hoping I get to cry watching them win a gold medal. I'm, I'm hoping that's, that's the case. I'll cry regardless, but I'll, I hope they're happy tears. <laughs> well, you can be super happy for, for your friends and your, and your former teammates and, and, and genuinely happy and also genuinely sad that you're not mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Those are not, those are not mutually exclusive. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a very interesting position to be put in. So Yep. Uh, well, take me back to those Olympic games that, that you were a part of. You were, you were out at the time. Uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, it's, it's hard to remember a time when I wasn't out. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so Athens was 2004. Um, by that point I had, I was a junior in college and, um, I had, yeah, I had, I had been out, I think to my parents for at least, I want to say two years at that point. Um, I wasn't with anybody at the time. So that was, it was pretty easy to just go in and, and enjoy the games. And um, we ended up, you know, fifth place in Athens. It was, it was incredible. Uh, went back to school, um, finished up my, my softball career at Nebraska, and then um, got to stay and train uh, two years at Nebraska um, training for the, the Beijing games. Um, and at that time I wasn't in a relationship. So it was a little bit different. Um, you know, definitely felt some of the, the hardships that come along with, with being away and traveling all that time. And um through, through Beijing. So, um, yeah, there were two totally different experiences. I'd say Athens and Beijing were, were vastly different. Our team was different. The dynamics on the team were different. Our, our, um, our placings weren't that different. We were fifth in Athens and fourth in Beijing, but, um, yeah, just two different experiences in general. Oh my God. I could keep you for an hour. I have, so <laughs> oh my gosh. Every time you say something, I'm like, I write something down. I got to ask her about this guy. Sure. So was the relationship in Beijing, was that this relationship? No, no, it was a different relationship. It was a, a relationship that had started in college. And I want to say it was like a four-year relationship. Um, we had, we'd stayed together after Beijing. Um, I had actually ended up moving to a, a different state for her because uh, it was as quote unquote, as we called it, it was her time. <laughs> so she was uh, doing some grad, grad school work and uh, the relationship did not last after that. It was a uh, one year and then things took a, things took a downturn. So, um, but we're still, we're okay these days. So it's good. What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Serbia. Serbia. Yeah, like the country uh, with a V. Oh, Serbia, I see. Yeah, yeah. So she was with you while you were playing on the international stage in world championships and other yes. things. Yeah, 2010 onwards, she's been with me. So I think there was, I want to say two world championships. Again, I'm, my memory is a little foggy here. She, her first time out of the country, out of the US, was actually to watch me play uh, at the world championships in Canada in the Yukon. So she was a trooper. We had only been together, I think, I want to say it was like two or three years at that point. And she, uh, she ended up bunking with my, my grandma and my aunt in, uh, in the Yukon, Canada and staying with us for a week there. So that was, uh, she was, she was a pretty good trooper. 
the World Softball Championships were in Yukon, Canada? Yes, Yukon is a hotbed for softball. You would not know it, especially, so male softball is big in Canada. Um, and the entire town came out. It was cool. I mean, and it, at that point it was again, like, what is it? 20 hours of daylight, um, being right beside Alaska. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It was so well run. Um, Canada did a great job. Um, and I think actually, I think Canada's hosting again, or they did host last year, uh, in British Columbia for the world championships of softball. They, they do a really good job. So they, they keep uh, getting asked to host. The Olympics, you got a fourth and you got a fifth. What was your best uh, world championship finish? Third. We finished third in, um, I should know this because I actually hit the uh, game-winning RBI. Um, holy crap. Was it 2014, 2012? So, wow. So tell me about that. that so you're a bat. Um, there's, a, there's a runner in scoring position. I remember this one well. We're playing China. Uh, it was for the bronze medal. This was in uh, Venezuela. So I think we were in Caracas. And um, the, the, the thing I remember most about international softball is the umpiring, these, the strike zones. And I, I'm not like, I promise I'm not a whiner. They are just sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. You're either, you've either got like the size of a quarter that the pitcher has to hit, or it's the size of a, you know, the backside of a barn. It's so the strike zone was just insanely wide and I'm not one to hit the ball the other way. I'm a lefty. So hitting something opposite field is like, I mean, that is an accomplishment in itself for me at the time. And I just, I think it was like a 12 pitch battle or something like that. And I finally got my bat on the ball, just kind of dunked it into left field. And, um, we had a speedy Caitlin Lever was on second base and she scored, um, in extra innings. And we, it was a walk-off for our, like our first, I mean, we hadn't won a, a medal at the, um, uh, world championships in a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was pretty, I'm getting goosebumps now. Just thinking about it. It was fantastic. What was that? You, you've got to make sure you get the first base. Yep. <laughs> what is actually... going on in your mind as you're running down that first baseline and then you get there and you see her rounding third. Well, it was crazy because, you know, whether or not it would have been a bang, bang play at the plate, but for whatever reason, their third baseman um, cut the relay throw. So the left fielder was throwing it and it would have been like, like I said, Caitlin was on second, the left fielder was charging in on the ball. So it would have been a, a bang, bang play, but the third baseman cut it. And so we scored and it was a walk-off. And so I was rounding, I was through first and I was rounding and I was like, why did she cut it? What did I miss? Like what's happening? And then all of a sudden everybody else was jumping around and I was kind of like, okay. And that's the point where I just kind of grabbed my helmet and threw it. Cause it was uh yeah, like, but it was one of those where you had to pause for a second because I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> but that was pretty cool. So we don't like to talk about um, negative experiences on this podcast. However, um, the, the, the goosebumps and the excitement of winning a bronze medal match, if you finished fourth in the Olympics, you lost a bronze medal match. Yep. Talk about that. That one's hard. Yeah, that one was... Um... The hardest thing about that, and I think anybody that was on that team um, would tell you that we we had the skill. Um, we had this interesting mix of veterans and I call I call them rookies, and I probably shouldn't, but it was it was there was a little bit of an age gap, there was a little bit of an experience gap, and we had so much talent, um, but we never we never quite came together as a, as a team, and so that was that was really hard because um, looking back now, I think we we there's some things that we probably would have done maybe a little bit differently. I don't know. Everybody thinks that, right? 
Um, but I remember just feeling gutted for, um, you know, our pitcher again, Lauren Bay at the time, two-time Olympian, um, we were playing Australia and she threw her ass off. Sorry if I can't swear on this. Um, and they, Australia is just, they're, they're so experienced. I mean, some of them had been to four Olympics and they, again, they were probably the embodiment of a, of a team and we might've been more talented, you know, player to player, but they, they pulled it off. And I think they, you know, I, I want to say one of their players hit, hit the game winning run. Um, Lauren just jammed her and this, the ball just fell over our third baseman's head, just like a little, uh, little duck into, uh, into left field. And that's, that's kind of how we lost it. Um, we put up a pretty good fight, but we knew we, we knew we had the talent and there was high expectations coming out of Canada as well. Like we were, you know, everybody's kind of like, Hey, there's, did you know, Canada had a softball team and Hey, they have a medal chance. And, um, I think one of the differences too, is everybody said medal chance kind of knowing that, Hey, third was realistic. And the U S has been dominating softball for so long now that, you know, us beating them there would have been quite the feat, but that's the year they actually lost to Japan as well. So, um, yeah, I think expectations were, were there and we just, we just never quite came together. So a little bit tough, tough pill to swallow. It doesn't matter what the sport is. Every team sport success is so um, built on team and teamwork mm -hmm. and bonding. And maybe basketball might be one where you could get one or two stars and just win the championship. But mm -hmm. every other team sport, it really is about teamwork. And yep. If you don't have that, uh, you can have all the success in the world, uh, all the talent in the world. The Washington Red, the Washington football team yeah. uh, would have five uh, Super Bowl championships in the last 10, 20 yeah. years if, if that were the case. But yeah, it's fun to watch, isn't it? Like, I mean, I'm, I, I'm watching sports too. It's, it's one of the things I look for, like, uh, you know, Oral Roberts right now watching them in March Madness. It was really cool because I, I caught a moment where one of their you know, one of their players went down and uh, went to the floor and all four of his teammates were right there to pick him up. And like you watch other sports and sometimes it's the closest guy or whatever, but I was like, man, that's what a team they have. And you could just tell, um, you know, who knows how far they'll go, but I love watching for moments like that in, in games. Like it's, it's really cool. You, you get a glimpse into the leadership of the team when you see mm -hmm. things like that, that somebody has built a culture there of teamwork and selflessness and, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. How do I literally pick up the person next to me yep. and help him become, help him or her become the best athlete that they can? And it's, mm -hmm. it's inspiring to see that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, fertility treatments. Yeah. Completely shifting gears. Yeah. I work with an amazing fertility doctor named Dr. Guy Ringler here in Los Angeles. Um, gay guy in the fertility world. And I know a lot about this space. Okay. And I love talking to people, particularly LGBTQ people who uh, embark down that road. Talk to us about that experience. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to, um, I mean, in Chicago, we're, we're pretty lucky here where, you know, insurance covers a lot of it. You know, it's very, I think we're in a, a little bit of a safer space, which is, which is really nice. Um, very, you know, um, LGBTQ friendly, um, fertility clinic. Uh, I think my, our original, um, fertility doctor was actually gay as well. He moved, but, and then we, we got moved over to somebody else, but that was really cool to see. Um, uh, we, we got lucky and, um, I luckily enough, we just had to do IUI. Uh, I didn't have to go through any, um, fertility treatment. So, um, we, I think it was our third try. 
we got lucky with, uh, with my son and had a, a full pregnancy. Um, now the cool part, maybe this is, this is a little bit more interesting. So for our second child, uh, my wife and I want to use her egg, uh, with our same donor and I'm going to carry. So I'll kind of be her surrogate, which is super neat. How did you decide who was going to carry the first one? I've always wanted to carry. It just made sense. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of want more than two. I'm trying to convince her of that. I'd like to carry again and have another one again. But um, uh, and then and honestly, it, it kind of worked out was in terms of my job as well. Um, so I work remotely. Um, I kind I work for myself. I have my own business and she's kind of one that goes in. She's more in, in corporate finance and stuff like that. And it just kind of again, I think it just made sense. Like she can, she, she was able to work while I was um, able to take kind of time away from my business and, and maternity leave. And um, again, like I just, I love carrying and um, it just kind of made sense for both of us. What is it about carrying a child for nine months that gets you going? Man, you know what it is. Um, you want to talk about comparing something to athletics. Like that is one of my <laughs> greatest accomplishments as well. Um, the changes that your body goes through and understanding what has to happen, you know, from conception to like, to delivery is it's insane. Like just the everyday, you know, you, at some point you have to relinquish control too, because you, you can't control the cell division that's happening. You know, the, the transition from embryo to fetus, to, you know, fetus to, you know, heartbeat and all this fun stuff. Um, I, I, that to me is just, was just an incredible experience. Um, yeah. Letting, letting go of control was huge. And just trusting that your body can do this. Your body knows what to do. Um, the number of times I've thought about that for myself too, like going through my routine with softball before stepping into the box, like things just become automatic um, that parallel was, was pretty cool. Like just trusting your preparation. Um, they, they kind of go hand in hand there. So it's, um, I don't know, I'm smiling so big right now because it was such a cool experience. <laughs> Did you ever talk about, uh, adoption or was having, um, children that are of at least one of your genetics, sure. um, was that always part of the, part of the, yeah, that was always something that was really important to me. Um, and, you know, we have discussed adoption as well. And I think that's, um, you know, if we did decide to have a third child, that's definitely something we would, we would seriously consider, um, especially knowing just that there's, you know, we have, we have such a loving home and there are kids out there that, um, that need that. And um, I think about the type of um, life that we would be able to provide a kid. And I think it is, um, it's just really exciting to think about, you know, just in terms of bringing somebody up with a completely, you know, inclusive environment, like letting them know from day one that, whoever they love, it's okay. You know, if they want to kiss a boy or kiss a girl, that's, that's however they feel about, you know, their feelings are valid. Like, I think that's just such a unique, um, world that we can bring a kid into and, and what a cool world that creates when more and more people can do that. You know, there's so much conversation right now about how to approach gender with kids. Mm -hmm. How do you approach it? <sighs> Yeah, I've, I've thought of these conversations to have with, uh, with our son Gus and, um, you know, I think it's just going to be, we're, we want to make sure that communication is there, right? First and foremost, we're, um, we want him to know that whoever he is, it, it's, we love him. And if he feels strongly one way or the other, like, awesome. Like we are just, we're here to support him and to allow him to explore his feelings. Cause you know, I mean, I think we've all, we've all thought 
okay, I'm for sure, I for sure feel this strongly, you know, at age 11 or whatever. And then you turn 13, you're like, no, I, I for sure feel this way. And, um, you know, so allowing him to kind of go through and make his, um, you know, just experience life as it comes, I think is, is going to be really important. But I think that has to start with him feeling open and on, like being able to communicate with us and feeling safe. Are you already mapping out his and, and all of your children's uh, sports careers? Oh yeah. I, I secretly don't tell my wife, but yes, we, <laughs> she's more of an academic. She went to university of Chicago, which doesn't have sports. And, um, you know, I, I went to Nebraska and I, I say I majored in sports or <laughs> majored in softball, but, um, I, I mean, I, I would be tickled pink if he played hockey or if he was a golfer or, um, I'm not as familiar with soccer. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with whatever he wants to do, but, um, I, I love those team sports. Um, not that golf is a team sport, but, um, yeah, being Canadian, that's you, everybody kind of pictures their, their little guy playing, uh, playing hockey with a maple leaf across his chest. So, <laughs> well, you know, Tiger Woods dad got him started when he was like three. So I yeah, I saw that. I don't know if I'll be that, uh, you know, um, well, you know, if Tiger liked it, that was great. If you, if he was there, it's awesome. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, you never start too early, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, before we close out, we're a few months from the Olympics. Tell us what the next few months will look like for those athletes preparing to compete in softball in Tokyo. Sure. Yeah. So they, um, they will get together somewhere warm. I think it's going to be, I think they're in Florida. If I'm uh, following my social media friends correctly, um, they will um, train, you know, together every day. They'll probably share some, uh, they'll probably put them in houses together Um in Beijing, we, we were like eight to a house. It was kind of like the, <laughs> the real world of softball, um, which was, it was honestly really cool. Um, yeah, they'll train together. They'll do probably wake up and have some type of strength session or, you know, um, aerobic conditioning, stuff like that. They'll, they'll practice for two to three hours in the morning. They'll have lunch together. They'll practice two to three hours in the afternoon together. Um, maybe finish off with some, some type of, uh, you know, mobility or again, like some type of energy systems training. That'll be their routine for, the next three months, um, when they're not practicing, um, they'll be, they'll be playing against other teams, probably teams that are put together, uh, like in the pro leagues, there's usually a bunch of softball players coming together. Um, they'll have a lot of games against, you know, the same teams over and over <laughs> as well, just to get the reps in. Um, I imagine they'll travel to, to Tokyo at least a month in advance, um, get acclimated there and continue to have exhibition games, things like that um, get situated in the village. And, um, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to say with COVID too, what, what, what limitations are going to be put on them, but, um, it'll be all softball for the next little while. They may have weekend breaks with their families. Um, but, but those will be, uh, short-lived for sure. Those, those aren't going to be, you know, week long or anything like that. Um, families will probably travel and watch them play in certain places, but, uh, home will be with the team for the next few months for sure. What kind of, financial compensation does the Canadian Olympic Committee provide? Because, I mean, these are athletes in their, you know, most in their 20s. Uh, they, they have got to make a living. They've got to save some yeah. money. Is, is, does the Canadian Olympic Committee pay them? Is it all sponsorship driven? How does that work? I don't think there's a lot of money in sponsorships. I think there's, you know, probably in terms of equipment. Um, I, I can't speak to what they offer now. Um, I know when, you know, in 2008, we were, we were extremely lucky. We had, we had great financial backing from, uh, um, from a, a company or a fund called the can fund, um, as a senior card member. So the longer you were on the team, when you're on the team, uh, we were given a stipend of about 1800 bucks Canadian per month. 
um, which, you know, it's, it's enough to get by. <laughs> um, most people weren't able to work at the same time. So that was kind of, that was kind of tricky. Um, I think I've, I've seen uh, a few things of CanFund being available for the athletes this year as well. Um, but I think most people are, are in the boat of, yeah, you take a break from work and you probably, um, you know, you might, you might go into a little bit of debt, <laughs> depending on if you're, you know, how, how, if your spouse can support you or not, but, um, it's tough. It's, it's another one of those decisions that you have to kind of make. And, um, but again, I think based on what I've heard of, of different, um, compensation for, for other softball countries, I think Canada does a really good job. It's one of the misconceptions that people have, you know, they, they see, these Olympians and, and the, the multi, multi-time Olympian, and they think, you know, famous, well-known, successful in your sport, you know, must, you know, have it made. And most Olympians struggle. They live with their parents. Mm-hmm. They live in their van. I, it's yeah. it's yeah. such a misconception. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm thinking back now too, and I probably have to thank my parents for supporting me a little bit <laughs> um, more than, uh, you know, a 20 something year old should have been for, for many years. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough, but it's, it's so worth it. I mean, you, it's what you do, right. It's just, it's just part of the, it's part of the gig and it's, it's all worth it. It's just one of the other, one of the many sacrifices you make. Have you ever thought about returning to softball, but in a gay or lesbian league, they, I'm, they, they have <laughs> a huge one in Chicago. Yeah. You know, I've been invited a couple times. Um, I, I have this res- like, just fear of sucking, like <laughs> coming back and having these like massive expectations and then forgetting how to swing. Right. It's like one of those nightmares where like you, you forgot to go to class and take the test or whatever. I, um, ha- playing softball for fun in a league is, I think it's something I have to do just to like, you know, have that life experience. Um, but it, it kind of terrifies me. Um, I did play, however, in Chicago, I think it's the CMSA, Chicago Metropolitan Sports Association or something. Um, two guys that I had met at my um, CrossFit gym, they were in a gay men's league and they were like, hey, we need, we need you to come out. Like we're, we're short on players. So I showed up and I don't think I knew it was like a gay men's league at the time. I thought it was for whatever reason, a co-ed. And so I showed up to play slow pitch with them. And I'm like, oh, frick, I'm the only girl here. And they didn't say anything. And they just kind of let me go up to the plate. And luckily I was, I, I, I managed to um, do all right. I think I, I hit it over the right fielder's head and they were all kind of like, what the hell is happening? Like they saw a girl and they came in and, uh, but then news, news quickly spread that, um, you know, our, our team had a girl that had played at the Olympics and, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I no longer, we, we won that year, which was great. And then I think I retired after that. <laughs> so I let you step in for one season, you win the championship and yep. you're like, <laughs> And we're done. Yeah, it was. Uh, but you know what? I still got nervous for those games. Like we wake up Sunday morning and it like literally guys are coming in hungover, right? Like forgot to put on the other pair of socks or something. And, and I'm like, you know, Friday night, like, oh my gosh, I have a game tomorrow. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, maybe I'm the only athlete that's like that, but it's, uh, I'm sure I'm not, but it's, you know, not, not it, at that point, it was more stressful than fun. So <laughs> hung them up again. Well, Sheena, I appreciate you taking the time. I, I, I hope your friends with the Canadian softball lead team do great. Um, and, and please stay in touch and, and thank you for sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. You can find Sheena Lorick on Instagram. Her name is Sheena Lorick, L-A-W-R-I-C-K. And I love her handle. It's machine four, M-A-S-H-E-E-N, the number four, machine four. I love that. 
I really appreciate her opening up uh, about so many interesting topics. Losing a bronze medal match, that really, that really hit home. And also building a family and what that means for her and, and why she's sacrificing a, a potential appearance at the next Olympic Games to be with her family. It really uh, spoke volumes to me. Really pre appreciate Sheena uh, spending time with me. We will be following her and her family's journeys going forward. And I hope you'll come back next week for another conversation. Five rings to rule them all.